You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, dedicated to cultivating a just and generous expression of the Christian faith. Thank you to Teresa for leading us in that, and thanks to all of you for trying out something new on a Sunday morning. How was it for you? A little mindfulness exercise. It was a little uncomfortable to do it in a room full of people when you had no warning. Yeah. (laughs) Or did you secretly love it? Jen's over here nodding her head. Yes. Especially you introverts in the room, right? So last week, when we answered questions from our community during our 10 a.m. service, I shared a little bit about how I deal with anxiety in my life. And it must have resonated with people because some folks talked to me about that during the week. And so when I was thinking about this message today and this Hebrew word, hanini, here I am, I kept coming back to this idea of how I practice it, this idea of being present with the Lord and how it calms me when I'm feeling anxious. So it's, it's just as simple as that, taking a, little, a few moments to center myself and kind of do an exercise. I, there's been times where I've removed myself and gone into the bathroom or into a different room right before a really stressful meeting or when I'm spinning because of a conversation that I just had, and I just slow down to breathe inhale and exhale and to feel my hands upon my legs and just kind of be present in the moment. And it's just incredible how much our breath has the power to calm us, especially to calm that fight or flight response that's going on in your brain when you're an anxious person. It's overactive in an anxious person. So it's a really beautiful thing, I think, especially when you think about how our breath is connected to the divine. We get this, this picture in Genesis 2 of God breathing life into the first human being, right? And so it's, it's no wonder that our breath has such ability to calm us and center us in that way. And there was another question that we got over the last teaching series um, from someone that we answered last week that was asking if we look at the Hebrew and Greek words and we compare and contrast different translations of the Bible before we prepare our sermons. And I, I hope, for any of you who've been coming to Forefront for any amount of time, that you guys can answer that question for us, because yes, of course we do. Um, it's the responsible thing to do, right? When I get up here to preach, I try to share with you guys the process of what I'm going through and how God is working in my life. And I try to share that because, well, first of all, to show that anybody can do this research and, and figure this stuff out, but also because I want to share how God is working in my own journey and what my personal theology is and where it's coming from. But I, don't, I hope that you don't take what I'm saying or Jonathan's saying and, and use that as the final word, but rather as a beginning, that Sunday mornings and the way that God is working in your life would just fuel the questions that you have throughout your week and your walk with God and the, the theology that you're developing as you breathe and, and walk and live within the divine and say, here I am to God throughout your weekdays. And so here we are in this new series. We're calling it Six Words, and we're studying over the next six weeks six different Hebrew words because, after all, Jesus was Hebrew. And we thought that diving into some of these ancient words and understanding their meaning within that context might help us to have a fuller picture of who Jesus is and what his message is for our world. And so this brings me back to this first word we're looking at today, Haniani, here I am. In the Hebrew Bible, the word Hanini is often used by people when they respond to a direct call from God. So for example, in Genesis 22, Abraham's first called by God in verse 1, and he responds, Hanini. And then God gives him the command to sacrifice his son Isaac. Later in the chapter, when Abraham's about to slay Isaac, the angel calls from heaven and Abraham answers, Hanini. And this passage is, is 
one that the Jewish people read every year around the High Holy Days, which is around this time of year, in fact. I think it's actually one of the greatest testaments of faith in all of Scripture. And then there's Jacob, who we're going to talk about next week. He's another Hebrew forefather. He responds to Nehemiah twice to two different direct calls from God. And then there are the prophets. The prophets, Samuel uses his prophetic mission. He responds with Hanani to God's uh, response, or God's call to his life. And then there's the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 6.8, he says Hanani when he first experiences a vision of the Lord and the seraphim at the temple. But today, we are sitting in the book of Exodus, where God speaks the very first time in Scripture, and Moses responds to God's voice from within this burning bush, right? That classic verse that we're looking at, with this very word, Hanini. Here I am. And I came across this passage last winter when a teacher introduced it to me in a new way, and, I, and it's been such a blessing to me ever since. So I want to invite you guys, if your minds are starting to wander already, I want to invite you to come back and be present with us in the room and sit in the, the Bible study with us today as we take a look at Exodus. So first up, most of the scholars and the theologian types, they all agree that, well, they mostly agree, that the first book ever written was Exodus, even before Genesis, which makes a lot of sense when you see what it lays out. God liberating his people, the descendants of slavery, their identity wrapped up in Egypt. Exodus spans 400 years where these immigrants, the Hebrew people, are completely assimilated into the Egyptian population. And the story of Exodus is the essence of of their story as a people group. God pulls them out of Egypt and he centers them around Mount Sinai and the person of Moses. And he gives them their identifying documents, the Ten Commandments, right? And he births them out of the sea as a people. And this is where their history really starts to matter. The history of their forefathers, like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And who's the guy that we credit for writing all those stories down? It's Moses, the same one who leads them out of slavery in Egypt. And here we are at the beginning of Exodus, and we are meeting Moses at the very beginning of his journey. So let's go back and let's read chapter 3 again. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. And then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why this bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. And then he said, come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet, For the place in which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. All right, so here's Moses, right? He's fled Egypt because he killed an Egyptian taskmaster who was beating a Hebrew slave. And and Pharaoh finds out about this and is looking for him. So he's hiding out in the land of Midian. And his sense of justice, it flares up again. And he rescues some women at a well and their flock from some harassing shepherds. And the father of one of those women, the high priest of Midian, is so grateful that he gives his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. And so here is this hodgepodge character, all right, born Hebrew, but educated in Egypt. Remember, Moses is the one whose story where his mother puts him into the basket and sends him down the river, and Pharaoh's daughter finds him and raises him as her own son. That's Moses. And now he's tossed into this nomadic culture, and he starts to learn their way of life. He's being set up for what God is about to ask him to do. 
And there's also this really beautiful literary foreshadowing happening in this story, in this passage as well. Because Moses is a shepherd, but at the beginning of chapter 3, the flock that he's shepherding is not his own. It belongs to his father-in-law. He's this guy who needs a flock. But little does he know he's about to get one. It's just not of sheep, it's of people. (laughs) And so my question for you guys this morning is, have you ever looked back on your life and realized how all the pieces were coming together to bring you to a certain moment? Well, here we are with Moses in his big moment. God is speaking to him through a burning bush. No big deal, right? That might seem like a really wild thing for us, this idea of like this burning bush and God speaking out of it. But honestly, in the middle of the burning hot desert like this, to see a bush burning along the side of the road like that is not a really extraordinary thing to see. Moses would have seen that a lot as a shepherd. But the nuance to this bush is that while it's burning, it's not being consumed by the flames. And I imagine he probably wouldn't have even noticed that if he wasn't the kind of guy who pays attention to his surroundings which I think tells us something about who God is. Often God's voice in our lives is not some big, loud, booming voice, but this small, discerning thing. Discernment is going to be an important characteristic for Moses and all that he's about to be called to do. And so here he is, right? He's trying to figure this out, and he's not scared. He's actually curious and adventurous, and he's bold, and he goes right up to this bush to check it out. And when God saw that Moses turned to see it, He called out to him from within the bush. God speaks his name twice, which tells us that it wasn't a familiar voice to him. And notice how God doesn't speak until Moses turns to pay attention. He waits for his attention before speaking to him. And this makes me wonder, what would have happened if Moses hadn't turned? Or maybe so, how many bushes Did God set a flame before Moses finally did? I mean, maybe this was day two or three of these bushes burning along his path before he finally realized that one of them was not being consumed, right? I don't know. This kind of thinking starts to make me ask other questions then. So it starts to make me think, is it possible that God is waiting for our attention before speaking too? And how important is it that we make ourselves available and pay attention? What gets missed if we don't? Our culture, it programs us to multitask and to be fractured with our time and our attention, right? We are always doing something else. We can't do one thing without also having our phone. We can't eat a meal without having our phone on the table as well, right? We praise each other for these things. I think especially as women, I experience that. How often do you go through your day and you never once stop to look up at the sky? I, for example, I'm I'm a terrible daydreamer. I will walk blocks upon blocks with a piece of mail in my hand because I'm supposed to put it into a mailbox. And then I get all the way home and I'm like, oh, why is this thing that's still in my hand? Because all I've been doing is thinking about what's going on in my own head instead. And this week as I was thinking about this message, I was noticing how many times I got bumped into on the streets, especially in Manhattan. I'm ragging on Manhattan for a minute. It, people walk a lot faster there. And when you're pregnant, it, it's hard. <laughs> so I've also been noticing since I'm pregnant that um, people don't, not give up their seats in the subway because they're trying to be rude. They don't give up their seats because they are buried. Their faces are buried in their iPhones and their headphones. We are so not present with each other, especially on the subway. And so then the bigger question behind all of this, as Christ followers, is how often do we go throughout our days never once thinking about God? I'm guilty of that. Yeah, I'm a pastor, and I'm totally guilty of that. 
How might you be called to change your life and the world if you were more aware of God's presence in your life? Perhaps the Lord is waiting for us to be his people, the kind of people who look deeper than others do and who connect further than others do and who turn towards the Lord in our ordinary daily actions. All right, this is a cheesy romantic story. I'm warning you guys. My husband and I have both been attending Forefront since like 2008, but we didn't meet till four years ago at the very first ever Forefront Brooklyn Christmas party. Before that, we were both loosely involved in the Manhattan location. I was on hospitality, and he played the drums, but our paths never really crossed. So after we met and we got together, we were looking through Facebook, and we saw all these photos and realized how many times we were in the same room together but never met. And so there was this gig at Rockwood Music Hall once where we both realized we came in late and we were standing by the door. We literally could have been right next to each other. I don't know. And then there was a fundraiser where I was in charge of running the whole thing, and so I was so wrapped up in the details of it all that I never made it over to the bar to introduce myself and say thanks to Courtney's roommate who had volunteered to be the bartender that night, a.k.a. my future husband. And then there was another fundraiser where I organized the food, and he was behind the bar, which, again, tells you something about our marriage. Um, And I was so consumed by this lame pothead musician guy that I was dating at the time that I never met him again. And actually, that night, I went home and had a conversation with the musician and got dumped. So how dumb is that? If I had been present at that party instead, I could have met my future husband. So I think about those things, and I look at those pictures, and I can think about it two different ways. Maybe we both had more growing to do before our paths were supposed to cross, and we needed to be the people... We needed to be until, you know, in order to fall in love with each other. Or maybe, and this is the really cheesy romantic stuff, um, maybe it was always meant to be, and God had to keep orchestrating these opportunities for us to cross and to meet because we just weren't paying enough attention, and finally it all happened at that Christmas party. I don't know. But how often in our life do things work out that way? You decide to go to a random event last minute, and you meet an incredible person who changes the course of your life. Or you apply for some job that you think you're never going to get, you're not qualified for, and it shifts where you're living and, and the whole you know, trajectory of your career. Or maybe you show up to volunteer at something because everybody else from church is doing it, and you find yourself immersed in some new passion or calling that you never expected to find before. How often is our God, the one who created the universe, the one who created each one of us, calling out to you to notice the world around you, to notice the leaves on the trees in the middle of an incredible autumn season, to notice that your multitasking is taking you away from time with your kids, to notice that your anxiety is coming from the fact that you're trying to do too much and be too much and put your value in something other than the Lord. Or to notice the injustices of the things that are happening in your neighborhood and in the city around you and actually taking the time to slow down, listen to someone's story, and get involved. To be present with the Lord is to say, here I am, Haniani. I'm open, Lord, to a better way, to your way for my life. And just as Moses is about to learn, it could be the start of something that you never dared to imagine. And so there's something, speaking of Moses, there's something really beautiful going on in this passage that I want us to look at in these last few verses. So here Moses says, here I am. 
And then God said, come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. But then I want to keep going, because the, the verses that come after this are so incredibly important. So moving on to verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And he said, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. We had to dig into that because it's just too important for us not to look at. This is the very first time that we hear the Lord speak in all of Scripture. And do you see the words that he speaks? His words are all about justice, about freeing the oppressed, raising his people up out of slavery. He says things like, I hear the cries of my people. I know their sufferings. This is the start of an arc of justice that is going to go on throughout all of Scripture, and it's going to find its full embodiment in the person of Jesus, the Son of God. And who is it that Jesus comes and we see him serving the most? The marginalized, the sick, the oppressed, the women, the demon-possessed, the least of these, right? The same people that we are called to serve as well. And then I love understanding things about Exodus and Genesis and these early books in the Bible because when you understand this stuff, then you get to read the epistles and you understand what the apostles are doing when they take this foundation of the Hebrew faith and they, they mix it with the gospel and they apply it in their context just as we are called to do as well. This is why we talk all the time about this more just and generous Christian faith. It all starts right here in Exodus, and it's going to keep going into Scripture beyond and into our lives as well. Which is what I love about this, this passage as well, because it paints this picture of a progressive relationship with our Lord between us as individuals and our God. Look at Moses, right? He is this imperfect person. He's a murderer. He's hiding his face in shame from the Lord because he knows he's killed a man. He's got that burden on him. And when God says, I want you to go to Pharaoh, he says, are you kidding me? Who am I to do that? Which I think is a really logical reaction, right? Throughout scripture, though, we are reminded that the Lord chooses imperfect people. And sometimes we receive those visions or that passion when, by first getting involved in something that seems so ordinary and mundane and then just being open to the Lord's word. The more time we spend with God, the more obedient we are to his voice, the more we come to understand our God. And this is how we, come, we become discerning people. People who notice that the bush is not being consumed on the side of the road in the middle of our insignificant, ordinary moments in life. That subtlety is often how we hear from the Lord, and people call it different things. You know, a still, small voice, a gut reaction, your intuition, God's presence, the Holy Spirit, whatever it is, however it is that you identify that feeling in your life. It's these moments when we awaken and we are present, when we slow down to breathe and say, here I am, 
that have all the power to change us and our world. And so where does it all begin? With prayer. That's it. Simply with prayer. With simply being present with God amongst the ordinary moments of your life. And notice how in those, those passages, or in those verses, that God tells Moses to take off his sandals because the ground that you're standing on now is holy ground. And it's not till later that this mountain of God has is, is come to know, be known as that. But right here in this moment, it's holy ground because Moses is encountering the Lord. He's having this divine moment, right? And it's this reminder for us that we can have those holy or sacred moments in our lives as well, in any space that we find ourselves in, whenever we encounter the Lord as well. So I want to encourage you guys, each one of you this week, and as a community, I want to encourage you to find those holy spaces in your life. To practice saying, Hanini, here I am, Lord. I'm open, I'm present, I'm with you. And maybe you're going to need a little bit of help doing that. Maybe you need to set an alarm on your phone to remind yourself to take some time to pray and to get centered. Or maybe you need to build it into a, a daily ritual, like the ritual you have already that um, getting your coffee or walking to the train. Maybe just invite God to be present with you in that daily process already. Or maybe you need an object to center you in it. So I went to the dollar store for you guys this week and uh, spent a whopping four bucks to buy you some marbles. And they're up here at the communion table. So when you come up for communion, take a marble with you and put it in your pocket. And every time you go to reach for your iPhone, feel that marble in there instead and allow yourself to be centered, to think of your time with the Lord. And if you want to go through that centering exercise that Teresa just walked us through, we'll have a version of it on the blog this week. So you can start to build that into your, your daily practices if you want to. There's all these different ways that we can encourage each other and, and uh, push each other to, to walk further and to connect with God and to start to understand how is it that the Lord is working in your life? How are you being called as an individual? How are we being called as a collective community? to live out this just and generous expression of our Lord here in our city today. Shall we pray about it? Join me. Lord, I thank you for these opportunities to be reminded of how you're working in our lives. I thank you for this progressive relationship that we all have with you, Lord. That wherever we are in our lives right now, however far away we feel from you, that you are always there and we simply have to wake up to your presence, Lord. I pray this week that each one of us would take one or two steps towards being with you, Lord, and being open to your ways for our lives. God, I pray that we would be a community that encourages you and lives out your presence in the city that we would lean further into what it looks like to be just and generous people, to be the people that you called us to be from the very beginning, Lord. It's in all of this I pray. Amen.